Well, good morning. We had a quiet bet going on outside whether Pastor Jim would, know, would mention the weather. <laughs> Did he? Okay, so those of you who bet, now you know, um, whether you're paying or, or being paid. This morning, I have a difficult topic to deal with because it's the sort of topic that this, if you ever feel entitled to teach about it, you're certainly not. We're going to talk today about humility. And anytime you address the topic, I'm opening the Bible today to one of my favorite passages, one that has meant the world to me since I was a frightened freshman in college. Anytime you open your mouth to speak about humility, at least I can't help feeling a little bit like the guy who created a seminar entitled Humility and How I Achieved It. It's a tough topic because humility is the sort of thing, the moment you notice you have it, at that exact moment, you lose it. You ever been in a situation where you've treated someone with kindness and walked away from that situation thinking, I hope they noticed how kind and generous that was. Sometimes as a pastor, if I'm very honest, I'll actually behave like a reasonable Christian and walk away thinking, I hope they noticed how Christ-like and kind and generous that was. And at that moment, I'm the biggest jerk on earth, right? The moment you notice humility, it's gone. As John Ortberg famously said, we'd all like to be humble, but what if nobody notices? <laughs> Such a slippery topic and yet so important. Humility is the one character trait, the one thing that God can give you, the one thing you can practice and grow in, the one virtue that allows all of the others to take place in your life. Humility is actually what allows you to become the person that God created you to be and that Jesus died to save you and make you into as a new creation. It all begins with humility. If there is no humility in your life, you cannot receive any other good thing that God has for you. And it's a difficult topic because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty interested in me. Aren't you sort of interested in how it's going with you? Love that last song, I will sing no other name but Jesus. That's a pretty bold commitment. Because really, even people's personalities are different. Half of us are introverted, half of us are extroverted. But we all love the sound of our own name. We all love praise and acceptance and love. We all like to take a selfie and have it to receive many likes on Instagram. That's one of the many things that's making something that is right in the heart of the human condition that shows us how deeply sin has broken us and changed us, that makes it harder to be not nearly as self-conscious. Social media is not helping in this regard. The word selfie is now an actual official word in the English language. It's in the Oxford English Dictionary. And it kind of says it all, right? Selfie. It's about self, and yes, I've, I take them too, but have you ever watched someone take a selfie? <laughs> and if it's a group, the pick phone has to get passed around, and if you have good people with you, one person can veto the whole picture, right? 
Three of you look amazing. One of you looks a little goofy. The one goofy-looking person can say, no, we're doing it again. And I was, on a, I was out in the wetlands the other day and watched with delight four young women take about 12 shots until everybody said, we all look amazing. We are ready for our public. <laughs> and it's hard. If you're introverted, your self-seeking, your self-interest may not look like that, but it's at the very heart of First of all, how God made us to be aware of ourselves and have a relationship with others. You'll never move past your self-interest. That's wired in. That's part of the creation. But humility is that gift, that maturity, that grace from God that allows you, as always, to start with yourself, but to look beyond yourself. To look to God and to look also to the interests of others and in love put those things first, but it all begins with humility because if there is no humility, there is no place for love. If people are proud and self-seeking rather than humble, self-control and peace and joy and kindness and goodness and every other good thing that God is and that He wants us to become as we grow as His disciples, all of those things are impeded by pride. I want you to open your Bible, and it's in your outline as well. We have a short passage, so I was able to print it on your outline, and I'd love for you to have your outline close so that we can read the Bible together. First Peter chapter 5, and I'll begin reading, and I invite you to follow along with me there on your outline or your Bible in First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice we're right at the end of a letter. Let me drop you into the context. Peter, one of the first disciples of Jesus, one of the closest apostles to Jesus, has suffered greatly for his own faith, and so are the people who are reading his letter. They've been scattered across the nation that we now call Turkey, which was a series of Roman provinces in those days. Their faith has cost them dearly, a fiery ordeal. That's how Peter describes it. Fiery trouble has engulfed them. And he doesn't get terribly specific, but because of what it meant to be a Christian in the Roman Empire in these days, certainly family relationships would have been strained and broken. People have been pushed out of their jobs. Families have been divided. As a husband puts his faith in Jesus and the wife stays in the old religion, as the cost mounts politically and socially, the fabric of their lives is being shredded around them, and they're all suffering for following Jesus. And that's why Peter wrote the letter. Suffering is a theme that ties it all together. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, I know he's addressing Christians that are not only scattered through persecution, they're also gathered in local churches wherever they've found themselves. Because in the first four verses, he gives a word to pastors, what he calls in verse 1 his, the elders among these people. You can read my job description later if you like in the first four verses of First Peter. But then he turns to the rest of the congregation and he begins with younger Christians among them and he says this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We'll read this passage a couple times right off the outline so we can all read the same thing. This is what the Word of God says. Likewise, 
you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Would you all read it with me again, please? Word of God says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Here's what this passage tells me about humility. These are questions you may have wondered, but you may not need the answer to because you're awesome already. But let's just take a chance that some of us, beginning with me, could benefit from understanding what the Bible teaches about humility. First of all, who is it that needs to be humble? Think about that. Who in your world do you think should be humble? Well, certainly your spouse, right? And the kids? Peter answers that directly. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's a necessity as for us to grow spiritually. Those of us who are younger in the faith and younger in age should look to those who have walked with Jesus longer, follow their instruction, follow their example. But this isn't just a vertical thing. This encompasses everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. My number one Bible reading tip, if you've been here a while, you've heard it. Number one Bible reading tip is when you're reading the Bible, what is it I suggest you do? Slow down. Peter says all of you need to clothe yourselves with humility. That's a word picture because humility is not something that you can actually put on. What does he mean? Well, I've been thinking this week about clothing choices and particularly my wife's plight because of my clothing choices. See, what you're going to wear is a daily choice. Some of us care a little more than others. Some people agonize over the closet and walk for minutes through large walk-in closets and exclaim, I have nothing to wear. Others just grab whatever's handy, or in the case of a college student, whatever's clean, and out you go. Peter says you need to consciously choose humility every day. That's why he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Yesterday, no, I'm sorry, this is Sunday. On Friday, my wife had a day off, so we took a, a day off together, and we ended up getting a little exercise. I went out a little bit before she was ready and wore whatever I could find in a dark bedroom, and then she wanted to join me, so we went prowling around. And, you know, I'm obviously the workout didn't work, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the path, okay? I'm trying. <laughs> Never make fun of the fat kid. At least he showed up. Um, but one thing led to another, and I never really changed. So by the end of the day, I caught a good look at myself finally in a full-length mirror and realized that I subjected my wife to a day of my companionship looking more like an unmade bed than just anything else. 
And she looked like she always does. She just looked amazing all day long. What happened there? Poor clothing choices. And Peter says, those of you who are in suffering, who are already hurting for the sake of Jesus, make sure of this. Make sure you get dressed in the morning. Clothe yourself with humility. Consciously choose humility. What might that look like? That might look like this. You wake up in the morning, and as you draw breath, you, your mind will always start with you and your troubles, but in love and humility, you look past yourself and you look to God. And you say, God, though I had nothing to do with it and I could not care for myself overnight, I woke up. Thank you. You've given me one more day of life. Thank you. As I get up, I'm going to meet all kinds of people who have all kinds of troubles. People will need things from me, will ask things of me. I'm going to see news, probably, that's going to trouble me. I'm going to have fears and concerns and questions and goals. In all of those things, help me trust you. And you'll open your Bible and you'll hear from him, at least in a small, well-read slowly savored portion. You'll hear from the Lord. He'll bring more and more things to mind. Worries will start to crowd in, and you will continually tell yourself and tell Him, I can't handle this on my own. God, I need you to go before me. That's one example of what it looks like in the morning to clothe yourself with humility. If you don't clothe yourself with humility, you're not a well-dressed Christian. You bear the name of Christ, but you're not yet ready to represent Him because Jesus was all manner of good things, but not proud, not self-seeking a single day in His life. He persistently, for love of His Father and obedience to His Father, and for love of you, He continually put others ahead of Himself. And if we're going to bear His name, we have to imitate Him in this way. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. That tells me that humility is not a particular spiritual gift given to a few special people. Sometimes it comes across that way in talking even to Christians. In the ancient world, in Peter's world, humility was not considered a virtue. It was considered sort of the trait of a slave of a poor person, of a defenseless person. Aggression, assertion, achievement, those were things that were treasured in the Roman Empire. Peter is being as countercultural as anyone could be by saying, as you go through this trial, clothe yourself first with humility. And what is humility? Humility, as C.S. Lewis so wisely said, is not to think less of yourself. It's not a false modesty or a beat-yourself-up kind of buffet where you continually tell yourself you're no good. Actually, the people who do that are usually fishing for a compliment. Have you noticed? Oh, I'm just terrible. I feel so ugly today. Oh, no, you're beautiful. <laughs> they do something, and you go out to see it, and you say, oh, I'm, you know, thank you for coming. I know that was awful. Oh, no, that was amazing. We're so glad you're here. You're God's gift to the stage, and all of those sorts of things, right? That's not humility, that's false modesty. That's the invitation for people to find out for themselves how wonderful you are, okay? C.S. Lewis said, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. 
That's humility. That's the clothing that you need first thing in the morning. It's not a matter of temperament. It's something that God has instructed all of His children to cultivate, and it begins with that early morning meeting with God where you consciously remind yourself that He's in charge, that it's His strength, His life, His gifts that will bring you through the day. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And here's why. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That thought is so important, it's found in Scripture on three separate places. If you notice in your Bible translation, it's in quotes. Peter is quoting his Scriptures, and it's one of the most awe-inspiring, reverence-producing things I can find in the entire Bible. Would you read that truth with me, just the quote? The Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Want to know a Bible verse by heart? Say it again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now Peter's telling you why be humble. Here's why you should be humble, because there is a fundamental fact in God's character and the way He deals with people. God opposes the proud. Think carefully about what it might mean for the Creator of the universe to oppose you. It doesn't mean that He withdraws His blessing. It doesn't mean that He goes neutral and He sits for a while and watches you operate. It says that when a person's life is marked with pride, what that provokes, what that creates is the opposition of God. Why? Because humility is the only way we can ever achieve God's grace. People who need rescuing are not willing to admit it unless they're absolutely convinced that if no one else, if help does not come, they will be lost. Until the very end, the human spirit, stained by pride, oriented towards self-sufficiency, oriented to me first, you second, you first only if it serves my interests, will always try to be self-determined, self-reliant. That old Frank Sinatra song? the very signature of human pride, what do he say at the end? I did it my way. You want to hear what human pride sounds like in a song that will fill a karaoke bar and lift the roof off? Why is that so popular? Why have I heard that several times at funerals? Because at the very end, the human spirit created by God to enjoy Him forever, life with God requires humility. It requires the simple, abject recognition that He comes first, that life and every other good thing comes from Him, and only humility can open the way for God's grace. That's why the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for sinners and is willing and able to save anyone who trusts Him, finds such a small audience and is so received with such difficulty. You're telling me, God is telling me, I'm a sinner, I've blown it, I've missed the mark, I've rebelled, I've ignored Him, my life is headed exactly in the wrong direction, and to have what God calls life, I have to do a complete turnaround, I have to give up on myself and trust Him instead. 
Man, that hurts. I was just a child when I first heard the saving message that I'm, it's in this Scripture, and I fought it tenaciously to the point of sending my parents the night I trusted Jesus as my Savior to the point of sending my parents back to bed several times at the point of prayer in telling Jesus, I need you to save me. I've sinned. I've blown it. You saved me three separate times. I said, nope. I'm fine. Pretty good kid. That's just as a child. That imprint of pride is in every human heart. And Peter warns, quoting Proverbs 3.34, it's quoted again in the book of James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our pride provokes God's opposition. Proverbs says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than there is for him. That's why he says we need to be humble because God only lifts people who lower themselves. Look at the rest of this verse. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's the instruction then. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now we come to the heart of the matter. Peter says in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. That's what you are to do. That's what I'm told to do. To humble yourself literally means to lower yourself. A person who chooses to clothe himself with humility, the woman who chooses humility in her day chooses to lower herself first. It's the antithesis of what you want to do. You want to be noticed, be accepted, be told you did a good job, claw your way up, solve these problems on your own. And Peter says, no, on the contrary, you come low under the mighty hand of God. It's another word picture. Peter's telling them, in the middle of your suffering, remember, God is strong. His hand is in charge. He controls and directs all of these things. Even the trouble that has come into your life is under His control, and it's under His care. So the only sensible thing for you to do is to come shelter yourself, to put yourself lowly under His hand so that at the, proper time, at the proper time, the hand that has sheltered and covered you would reach beneath you and pick you up and exalt you and lift you out of those troubles who were always in God's love and never outside of His care or control. Now, the hardest part of this verse is at the end. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Well, once you understand that this letter was written to people in suffering, let me ask you, when would you like suffering to be over? Immediately, if yesterday's no longer available, right? I'd love for it to all come to an end yesterday, but if not, right now at this very moment would be good. Peter says, it's not under your control. You're not in charge of that. 
You're suffering. Every single one of you in the midst of this trial need to choose to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because pride and humility always shows up in your relationships. Pride destroys them and humility makes them flourish. Your relationship with God, your relationship with other Christians, your relationship with people who don't know and don't care about God at all, it's all flourishes or is destroyed by the pride or humility between you. Peter says, as far as you're concerned, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because here's a central fact of life in the universe. God opposes the proud. He does not only withdraw His blessing from them in love, He sets Himself against them because only when they're done with their pride are they ready to come to Him who is the giver of life and every other good thing. What you should do, Peter says, is humble yourself under His mighty hands so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And how is it that you do that? And humility is such a tough thing to quantify. As I said, it's the sort of thing that if you notice, it's probably in that moment been lost. How do you behave humbly? How do you humble yourself? How do you grow in humility? The end of this verse tells us, you grow in humility, you show yourself to be humble by throwing your anxieties on God. Read verse 6 with me, beginning with the humble, it says, "'Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you.'" Let's read it again once more, please, verse 6. "'Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you.'" casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Most Bible translations have it like this. Some translations give this as two separate instructions, humble yourself and cast your burdens, cast your anxieties on God. Most Bible translations have it the way it's printed on your sheet from the English Standard Version because grammatically what Peter's trying to show you is the evidence of humility is not holding on to your troubles and being more conscious of them and working harder at them. You show that you get it and that you've come under God's strong hand and that you are humbling yourself precisely in the moment where you realize that the anxieties that are weighing you down need to be out of your hands and on to God's. This word casting is a really strong word in Greek. It means to throw. In other words, we all have anxieties bearing down upon us. In fact, I would say that anxiety is the curse of the modern age. Because of the, technology, because of the advancement of technology, we have never been able to be more aware of all the troubles in everyone's life than we are at this moment. I mean, you can see disaster in our own country in the Houston area right now if you choose to. You can pull your phone out and, stro and scroll through some devastating pictures, some heartbreaking things. If you're on Twitter or some other social media feed that thrives on news, you can have the worst things in the world come into your life and give you a written report and a visual report constantly. And the way news works, it's always bad, right? 
At no point will someone say, I'm from KTLA, chapter 5, I'm here in front of the Garner home and everything's great. Bruce made it home on time for once. A wonderful dinner awaits him. He's planning to go out with his boys later today. Everything's fine. That report gets no traction. It's the tough stuff. It's the sad stuff. It's the trouble in the world that leads. And what that, ha what that creates in the modern, in the contemporary person who's paying attention is sort of a cloud of overall anxiety that the world is a difficult, troubled place and you have many challenges and many demands will be made upon you and other people, especially if you get our pride involved, other people are getting ahead of you. And everybody on your social feed appears to be having an amazing time. I have no idea why my life is such a mess. So what would it look like to do what Scripture says and cast your anxieties on God? Forgive all the self-talk I'm telling you about me, not because I've got it handled, but because mine is really the only story I know in depth. Here's what that looks like for me as an example of how I try to obey this verse. On Saturday afternoon before church, as we have a 5.30 service, by the way, if you're new to the church, or it suits your schedule a little bit better, I was welded into my chair thinking of about three different things at once, three different worlds that were all calling out for my attention. I was thinking about a problem that I have that's very personal to me, and it's it's mine. It's not my wife's. It's not my kids. This one's about me. At the same time, there was also something else fighting for space in my head. I was thinking about something relating to the life of my children because I thought having toddlers was stressful, and it is. But I can tell you, having a 17 and a 20-year-old kid has its own little adventures and texture. <laughs> Unfortunately, they both drive now, and they both have jobs. One of them has a girlfriend. In other words, they're edging into adulthood, and I thought by this time I'd be over and I could handle it a little bit better, but I'm thinking about a lot that goes on in their lives as well. And at the same time, screaming out for another part of my attention is things relating to being a pastor. Because we don't all come to church at the same time, but there's between 900 and 1,000 people probably who call Cross Point home. And this week, like every other week, there's been trouble. Death is close to some. Unemployment is a reality for many. Divorce, broken homes, desperate people. Young people trying to get their life started. Middle-aged people wondering how it's all going to work out. Older people nearing the end. And because I care, I've got a pretty steady stream of updates. And same thing with the news. It's not expected, it's not normal for somebody to text and say everything's cool, just wanted you to know. It's trouble. So really it feels like three monkeys fighting for space on my back. And I'm rotating between my stuff and my kids' stuff and your stuff and just feeling the anxiety and the weight of it and pulling my schedule out and wondering how will I ever, and then, can you believe it? Ironically, I remembered at that moment the passage I wanted to teach you. <laughs> what an amazing insight. So what I did was very specifically 
try to humble myself before God. And here's what that sounds like. God, I've been paying attention to no one but me for about 30 minutes sitting in this chair, thinking about all these issues and how I'm going to address them. And I can't. I can't handle it. It's too much for me. So regarding me, here is specifically, and my specific advice for you is to name your fears, name your anxieties, name your cares. If you keep it very general and specific, in my experience, the fog doesn't lift. Your mind just spins again now in prayer. Name specifically what are you concerned about. What is it? Is it the mortgage? Say so. God, I'm terribly afraid that we're not going to have enough to make our mortgage payment. And when I think about the other things that are coming our way, I feel great anxiety. So what I'm doing right now is I'm naming these things and I'm coming over to you and I'm trying to put myself under your hand because you're strong and I'm weak. And this specific thing, and I went through those three worlds, mine, my kids, and the churches, and I specifically named the things that had me wound up, that had me worried, and I specifically tried to throw them onto God and tell Him specifically in prayer, God, I'm, I'm putting you in charge. I, you've always been in charge. Forgive me for forgetting that for a moment. And you keep casting. That's the sense here. You keep throwing your anxieties on God. Here's the interesting thing about cares and anxieties. They're like boomerangs. You throw them away, and what happens? They go away for a while, then they make a U-turn. They gain speed and come back. What do you suppose God wants you to do then? Same thing. Continually throwing your cares on Him, if you will do this, if you will consciously lower yourself under His care and His strength and continually turn these things over to Him, the most wonderful thing will happen. You'll stay close to Him. And the anxiety is that He has total control over that He can use in His strong hand will be used not for a destructive purpose, not for one that saps life and joy out of you. They'll be used for the best purpose of all to keep you very close to Him as His beloved child because the last part of this verse is perhaps my favorite. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Here's how you do it, casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He, what? He cares for you. And that's the best news I could ever give you. That the God in charge of all creation, the one who spoke and there was light, the one who spoke and there was matter and life, and every other thing that you've ever experienced in the world was a direct act of creation by God. So the one who's in charge of both the solar system and DNA, that God, the one who made it all and sustains it all, He's the same one who cares for you. Ordinary Christians being harassed by the Roman government, being misunderstood and hated by their families in the first century, what attitude did God take toward them? He cared for them. He sustained them. He provided them. He provided for them, and He will do the same for you. We can cast all of our cares on God because we know He cares for us. The moment I pick them back up again, that's my pride reasserting itself. 
That's me telling God, God, you've had my troubles long enough. Hand them over. I feel better. Let me have it shot at them. Now, of course, work and diligence and planning and all the good things that God commends in His Word, that's all part of His plan too. What is never part of His plan is anxiety, is worry, is fear. This is the God who says, do not be afraid because I care for you. So why don't we put that into practice? Could I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head for a moment and just take a moment for yourself? Would you allow me to lead you through specifically what I've just described? What are the anxieties? What are the cares that you walked in with this morning? Can you take a moment and humbly name them and give them over to God? Say, God, these are my concerns. These are my fears. I'm throwing them over to you. Maybe you're single and not particularly liking it. The thought of that just fills you with anxiety. Makes you ask hard, accusatory questions about yourself. Would you throw that over onto God? Say, God, I'm, I'm your daughter. You love me. You sent Jesus to die for me. I don't understand all that you're doing, but you're in charge. Here are my cares. Here are my anxieties. I'm throwing them over. From my failing shoulders, I'm throwing them into your strong hands. Marriage, kids, career, money enough, health enough. A lot of reasons to be anxious. He knows them all. He cares. This is the amazing thing about him. He cares about all of it even more than you do. So I'll be quiet. You just tell him. Make a conscious decision to throw those cares on him. Heavenly Father, as hundreds and hundreds of people have prayed this weekend, in this congregation, and many, many hundreds of thousands, and the others, your children, Lord, are, are consciously letting go of their troubles. Not to be irresponsible, but to place them where they belong, in your care. Casting all of our anxieties, Father, on you, because you care for us. Thank you. Thank you that you receive these burdens and you bear them with strength and grace and you're no more tired. You've expended no energy when you've received them all than when we kept them to ourselves because your strength is perfect, infinite, and more than sufficient for everything that concerns us. Thank you. Could I also ask you, maybe you've been a fan of Jesus You've been interested. But honestly speaking, there's never been a decisive moment in your life where you've said to Jesus, enough of me. I'm giving up on me. I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me. I've been trusting myself. I've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to learn and grow and change. But I I'm giving up. Instead of doing all that, I'm giving up. And I'm saying to you, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're a Savior. Please save me.
That was my struggle when I was a kid. That's the struggle in every human heart to say, I've blown it. There's nothing I can do to save myself. I need you, Jesus, to do it all. That is the struggle of the ages. If you don't fight through that struggle and humble yourself, you cannot and will not be saved. God opposes the proud. But here's the promise. Here's the gift. He gives grace to the humble. If you're not certain that He's your Savior, could I invite you in His name to be certain? to turn to Him right now and say, Jesus, save me. The gospel were told of a man who was dying beside Jesus on the next cross. He started the day mocking Jesus, but right before He died, He said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What happened? The man's pride broke. He said to Jesus, you're dying, but I don't think this is the end. I believe what they say about you is true. I think you'll be back. Think of me when you return. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in heaven. It's that simple, and it's that difficult. The difficulty is the pride. It's not God's power to save. It's the pride of the human heart who puts it off, puts him off, says, I'll wait a a little bit longer. I'll try a little bit harder. Give up on that. Start trusting him and be saved today in Jesus' name. If you do that, all I ask is that you would take that card and let us know so that we can pray for you and encourage you in your first steps with Him. Father, do your good work now. Turn people who need you to be Savior. Turn them to you this morning, I pray. Turn wayward hearts, self-sufficient hearts, proud hearts. Turn all of our hearts towards you. Save, Lord, those who need it and receive the burdens, the anxieties of those you have saved, but we, beginning with me, foolishly have picked those anxieties back up and tried to carry them on our own. Take them instead, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.